Welcome to the Ray of Hope Church podcast. We believe that hope changes everything, so get ready for an encouraging message from the Word of God. We pray that you would receive wisdom and revelation as you grow in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. If you have your Bible tonight, turn with me to the book of Zechariah, and uh, we're going to be on number three installment, Are We Living in the Last Days? I personally believe that we are, and I believe the last days began as Jesus rose from the dead and ascended to heaven. So we are living in the last of the last days. About 20 to 30 percent of your Bible is prophecy. So why would we study prophecy? Because we're studying a large portion of what the Word of God says. Now the the Bible gives us insight and also gives us instruction not only what's going to happen but how we should live and how we should act in the last days. And the, the Bible also says the Lord will do nothing unless he shows it to his prophets. So as we study the prophets, then we begin to see what's going to happen in the last days. In Zechariah, in chapter 12, verse 3, And in that day I will make Jerusalem a burdensome stone for all people, that all burden themselves with it shall be cut in pieces, though all the people of the earth be gathered together against it. There's going to come a day where the nations are going to gather against uh, Jerusalem and Israel, and we know the Lord's going to come and he's going to fight. Now, one of the ways that we understand prophecy is through the nations, and that's what I'm going to really talk about tonight. I want to talk about America, but first of all, I want to talk about Israel. The most significant, obvious sign of the last day is Israel. Now, Israel is a very small, small country, but Zacharias said that Israel would become a burdensome stone. In 2020, the United Nations General Assembly condemned Israel 17 times versus six times for the rest of the world. So 23 resolutions criticizing countries and more than 70% of those resolutions focused on one tiny country, and that's Israel. So why has Israel become the center of the United Nations General Assembly of, of Sanctions because Zechariah said Israel would become a burdensome stone. Now, why not, uh, you know, Holland or Luxembourg or somewhere else in the world? Because God's prophetic timetable is centered on the nation of Israel, and we know that biblically. Israel's about the size of New Jersey. It's uh, about 85 miles wide and about 290 miles long. You, you could fit 71 Israels in the state of Alaska. That's how small it is. Now, Israel is the only country in the world that has a 2,000-year history of not being a nation and then becoming a nation again. Never happened again in, in the world uh, uh, ever. It is the only country in the world that has succeeded in reviving its almost dead language and now using it as a national language, and we're talking about Hebrew. So we know they have been scattered ever since the time of the Assyrians and the Babylonians, and only in May of 1948 did they come back to become a nation again. Now that is very, very significant, but it's also very much prophesied. This is Isaiah chapter 11, now I want to go down to verse 11 and 12. 
It shall come to pass in that day. Did you notice that Zechariah said that day? And, And now Isaiah is saying that day. In that day that the Lord shall set his hand again the second time. Now, if you underline in your Bible, you might want to highlight this uh, term, second time, to recover the remnant of its people who are left from Assyria, Egypt, uh, Pathros, Cush, Elam, Shinar, from Hamath, the islands of the sea. He will set up a banner for those nations and will assemble the outcast of Israel and gather together the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. Now, let's look at this line here in verse 11, the second time. So he's not talking about returning from the 70 years of Babylonian captivity. That was the first time. And you say, now, wait a minute, Pastor. He gathered them from Egypt. Then he gathered them from Babylonian captivity. That's true. But notice here, he's not talking about just Egypt and the, uh, the region of Babylon or Syria, he's, he's talking about Elam, Shinar, Hamath, islands of the sea, and he will set up a banner in the nations. What is he going to do? He's going to gather them all together, and that began in 1948. It is one of the most significant biblical prophecies of your Bible. Now, look at this term here that Zechariah said, burdensome stone. Say that with me, burdensome stone. What does that mean? Israel's becoming a heavy burden to the nations. Ayatollah Khomeini, anybody heard him in the news lately? He's uh, the leader of Iran. He recently published a poster on his website that used the words, final solution in calling for Israel's destruction, a term usually associated by the Nazis in Germany to eliminate all the Jews during the Holocaust, the final solution. Now, I'm going to give you some quotes by him. This has been fairly recent. We will support and assist any nation or any group anywhere who opposes and fights the Zionist regime, and we will not hesitate to say this. Israel is not a country, but a terrorist base against the nation of Palestine and other Muslim nations, Khomeini said in a live television uh, interview. Uh, Fighting this a despotic regime is fighting oppression and terrorism, and doing so is everyone's duty. In a quote posted on Twitter, Twitter, isn't it funny that Twitter will allow this guy on Twitter and ban hundreds and thousands of other people who are not even close to where he is? Okay, I'm going to move on here, but I'm just saying... There's a lot of nefarious stuff up with some of these major corporations. They have an agenda, and it's not God's agenda. So they will leave people up on Twitter that are murderers and terrorists, but they'll take other people off. Okay, move on, preacher. Khomeini on Twitter addressed saying, you will not see the next 25 years what he said to Israel you will not see the next 25 years he's saying I'm going to destroy them and he says the Jewish state will be hounded until it is destroyed so Matthew 24 if you'd like to turn there I want to move into something that is symbolic but significant and the symbolism is 
What do we see in the nation of Israel and how Jesus approached this prophetically? Matthew 24, most of you know, Matthew 24, it's what we call the Olivet Discourse. It's when Jesus and the disciples on the Mount of Olives are looking across the Kidron Valley to the Temple Mount. They're telling Jesus, look at these massive buildings, look at this temple. And this is when Jesus said, there will not be one stone left upon another on this Temple Mount. And absolutely that became true. Because we know that that happened 70 A.D. Uh, first of all, Vespasian came with the legions of Rome to, to quell and to squelch the, uh, the Jewish uh, revolt and revolution. And then when the Caesar died, he went back to become the new Caesar of uh, Rome. And his son, Titus, took over that campaign. And when Titus came to Jerusalem, he literally tore down the city, tore down the Temple Mount. And some people believe about a million of Jews died in that uh, campaign. So verse 32, so we want to drop down. Now learn this parable from the fig tree. When its branch has already become tender and put forth leaves, you know that summer is near. So you also, when you see these things, know that it is near at the doors. Surely I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away till all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. Now in verse 33, he says, it is near even at the doors. Now, what, is, what does he mean by that? What is near? What is close? What is at the door? So you have to go back to verses 29 through 31. So if you have your Bible there, if you want to backtrack just a little bit, in verses 29 31, he gives us what's at the door. The first thing he talks about is tribulation. Now the church has always gone through tribulation and persecution, but we know in the last days it's going to ramp up because we're going to have more and more opposition to our Christian faith and naming Jesus Christ as our Lord. So he says tribulation. Then he said there's going to be the signs, these celestial signs in the moon, stars, and sun. So I want you to think about this. In the coming years, you're going to see more signs in the heavens. Now, I... I, I I hesitate to say this, but you would think that the scientists, the astron astronomers, they, they kind of have this figured out, the cycles, but we're going to see some very significant things, celestial, that are going to point to the last days. And Jesus said, tribulation, these celestial signs, the moon, sun, stars. He says, the coming of the Son of Man in the clouds. This is not when Jesus Christ puts his feet on the Mount of Olives. What did he say? In the clouds, the sound of the trumpet, the gathering of God's people from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. So what is that? That's the rapture when we meet Jesus in the air, in the clouds. So that is what he says is near, but the indication is when the fig tree begins to what? Leaf out, bloom and blossom. We know summer is near and these signs are even at the door. Now, is he comparing the fig tree to Israel? And I want to tell you, yes. Now, we can't take one scripture and base it on one place in the Bible. How many of you know, in the mouth of two or three witnesses, let everything be established. So Israel is the marker, is the nation that's significant to give us the indication of the last days. He's comparing Israel to a fig tree. 
Hosea chapter 9, verse 10. I want to give you one line. I saw your fathers as the first ripe in the fig tree. The first time fig is ever mentioned in your Bible was when Adam and Eve took leaves to cover their nakedness. And guess what kind of leaves they were? Fig leaves. So that is the first mention of fig in your Bible. Now this is Luke chapter 13. Now, if you were a religious leader, if you were a Jewish leader in the time of Jesus, you would know this. Now, in our Western culture, sometimes we don't get this, we don't know this, but I'll guarantee you they knew this, that Israel was compared to a fig tree. Matter of fact, there's three things Israel's compared to, a fig tree, an olive tree, and the vineyard. So those are the three things that Israel has been historically compared to in the Word of God by the prophets, and so the fig tree is here. Now, chapter 13 of Luke, verse number 6, he also spoke this parable. A certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. Then he said to the keeper of his vineyard, Look, for three years I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree and found none. Cut it down. Why does it use up the ground? But he answered and said to him, Sir, let it alone this year also until I dig around it. I'll fertilize it. And if it bears fruit, well, if not, after that, you can cut it down. Notice how long he's been looking for the fruit. Three years. How long was Jesus' ministry? About three years. So when he gave this parable, if you were a Jewish leader, you understood he is talking about the nation of Israel. Now, he's saying in this in this religious system that has been corrupted by the priest, and they have really focused on the law, he says there, there's no fruit in this system anymore. And it needs to be revamped. It needs to be cut down. And so he gives the parable, and I'll guarantee you they, they understood that. Now the day after the triumphal entry, Jesus goes back to the area of Bethany, and now he's going back to the Temple Mount. When he goes back to the Temple Mount, the Bible says he was hungry. Now this is picked up, verse number 18, Matthew 21. Now in the morning as he returned to the city, he was hungry. Seeing a fig tree by the road, he came to it, found nothing on it but leaves, and said to it, Let no fruit grow on you ever again. Immediately the fig tree withered away. Of all the trees he could have passed by, why is he focusing on the fig tree? Because the fig tree represents who? Israel. And now in the state of Israel, in their religious condition, they have no fruit. Matter of fact, Matt mentioned it this morning. They look good on the outside, but not on the inside. He said, you're like whited sepulchers. You look good on the outside, inside is full of deadness, dead man's bones. The cup and, and, and the platter, you know, you, you got to clean it. You know, everywhere. You, you can't just have a good looking outside, you have to have a good looking inside. I might say I look better on the inside than I do the outside. <laughs> so he takes these parables and he takes this cursing of the fig tree and he doesn't do anything by happenstance, he does it intentionally. Jesus is doing this intentionally to get a message across. And that's what he's doing. Now, when they come back, the disciples marvel how quickly this tree dried up. And it says it dried up from the roots. And so here we have illustration from fig tree to fig tree to fig tree to fig tree. Now, 
The reason I mention this is because the nations are very much in the light of biblical prophecy, and I think we can, we can talk about this because the Bible says the kings of the east will come. So we could probably talk about you know, China and some of that area there. We know that Gog and Magog is going to be instrumental in the last days, so that's why we, we talk about Russia uh, coming down. The Bible talks about Persia. It talks about Libya. It, it talks about some of those other nations. And those nations are recognizable today in biblical prophecy. And where are they going to go? To this tiny little nation that's no larger than New Jersey, only 85 miles wide, and that's where they're going to converge, and they're going to see Israel as a burdensome stone, according to Zechariah. And it's going to be the epicenter of the last days. What in the world is the Antichrist using that area to set himself up and an image to himself to be worshipped because that is where God said, I will put my name. And so this little tiny place becomes very significant in biblical prophecy and also with the nations surrounding them converging on Israel. And the only way Israel will be saved is the return of Jesus Christ to protect Jerusalem and that little tiny nation and those people. And isn't that exciting that he is going to come back to that same place? So when the fig tree begins to grow, he said, you're going to begin to see these signs. So we know Israel, 1948, became a nation. Then he said, this generation shall not pass till you see these things happen. Now, I think uh, one of the other lessons that we taught on this series, are we living in the last days, that if we look at a generation biblically, we're looking at somewhere around 2028. How many of you know we're not that far away? that we begin to see some things on the national scene happening. Now, I, I want to pose this because I think it's maybe a question in your mind, certainly in his mind. Where is America in biblical prophecy? That's a good question. Where is America in biblical prophecy? We're not mentioned. The only place that some people believe we're mentioned is in Revelation chapter 12 where the wings of the eagle you know, goes and protects the nation of Israel. If it, and certainly I believe that's what that uh, is speaking of, the nation. But, but I don't think that's really specifically talking about us. But some people believe it is. So be it. I'm not going to argue that point. But I want to give you four, <laughs> just, just four options that I believe of where we're going to be in America in biblical prophecy. So if you want to write these down, please do. This is just my opinion. But I believe that if we are the superpower today of the world, and we are, let me give you the, the, the current rankings right now, superpower. Number one is the United States, number two is Russia, number three is China, and China's gaining fast. So number one superpower is the United States, number two is Russia, number three is China. So what are the scenarios, what are the options of America being in biblical prophecy? Um, why don't we really see in the Bible a, a huge uh, section of prophecy that refers to us? So here's option number one. We're no longer a world power. We're no longer a world power. So how could we no longer be a world power? Well, let me give you just a few suggestions. We have a diminishing economy. We have a diminishing economy. 
And, and this is going to sound very political. You can take it ever how you want. You can throw a tomato at me later. But I want to tell you, we do some of the dumbest stuff politically in America. We do some of the dumbest stuff. We, we, we have just uh, about uh, um, six years ago, we gave the number one sponsor of world terrorism billions of dollars. We gave the number one sponsor of world terrorism billions of dollars. Why would anybody in their right mind give the number one world's sponsor of terrorism billions of dollars? I don't know. I mean, I have no answer to that. I, I, I just don't have any answer. And now we're thinking about doing it again. So let me tell you where that money goes. Remember all those rockets that were coming into Israel? Iran is funding that. They're funding Hamas, Hezbollah. I mean, they, they're getting their money from Iran. Why would we give money to Iran when they sponsor world terrorism? So when I say we're no longer world power, uh, you know, we just do things that just, you know, just make no sense. And, and I tell you why we do things that make no sense. Because the God of this world has blinded our eyes. And there is, a, there, there, there is the God of this world that has a whole different agenda, and if you buy into it. So why are we no longer possibly being a world power in the future? We, we have a diminished uh, military. Instead of gaining, you know, the strength militarily, we diminish it. We have a failing economy. We have civil and social unrest. So sometimes it's not just the outward pressure. Sometimes we implode from the inside. And, of course, communism said that many years ago. Nikita Khrushchev said that the way we bring America down is not from the outside, it's from the inside. We go to our universities, we go to our colleges, and we teach the very thing that we're trying to fight, and we implode from the inside. And listen, I'm not against teachers, I'm not against professors. My mother was a teacher for 30 years, my brother was a teacher. Uh, in some way, I'm a teacher. But let me tell you something. If the only money you get is from the government, guess what you do? You just talk about what the government tells you. But there are a few people, they'll stand up and they'll say, you know, this is right, this is wrong. And thank God for those people, right? Uh, let me tell you, this is not my notes, but many years ago I went to our school system and I forgot what I was doing there that day. And I noticed it was about Christmas time. And in the hallway, you know, they have the big bulletin boards and they decorate every once in a while, you know, for holidays. And, and I walk down the hallway of the school and there's this big nativity, you know, bulletin board there in the school. And, and, and I asked one of the teachers, I said, how, how do you guys get by with that, you know, putting this big Christmas nativity scene in the school? And I remember what the teacher told me, we'll do it until they force us to take it down. And I'm looking at some teachers, you know, in our school system, uh, you know, for years, and, and I know that they prayed before their meal. My mother had a student in her class that, you know, they, a religious group that doesn't believe in saluting the flag or saying the Lord's Prayer. You probably guess what kind of group that is. 
And so the superintendent called my mother and said, listen, you got a student in your class, and the parents are upset because you say the Lord's Prayer, and uh, you salute the flag, so you need to do something. And let me tell you what mother said. I'm going to salute the flag, and I'm going to say the Lord's Prayer. If they don't like it, he can step out in the hallway or not. So anyway, so there's got to be a point where we understand that we, we do some things that really aren't furthering us it is actually diminishing us. Now, people have the right to do anything and be anything they want. If you want to be a squirrel, be a squirrel, okay? And, uh, you know, I'm I just not going to get off of some of the others. You know, you have the right to do that, but it's not conducive to a strong economy, a strong uh, social order, or a strong family structure. And so if we continue down those roads, what happens? We begin to implode from the inside, and no longer are we the world power. Here's number two. We've been decimated by war. So the second option is that maybe we've been decimated by war. There's a little guy over the Pacific about this tall that is frantically trying to produce nuclear weapons with the delivery system that will reach the United States. Now, it would only take two or three of those to get through, and we would have a huge problem. We also have a uh, country there in the Middle East by the name of Iran again that is desperately trying to produce a nuclear weapon. And uh, I don't think Israel will allow them to, uh, to do that. Uh, if the other nations abandon Israel, I, I just don't think Israel will let them have a nuclear weapon because they, they know that they will use it against them. Because, I mean, they public, I, I read this to you earlier, they publicly said that they want to, you know, they want to, you know, uh, destroy the nation of Israel. And if they had the weapons to do that, they would. So we've been decimated. So the world powers, you know, uh, would, you know, be, be totally changed. Here's the third thing. The United States is sided with the Antichrist. The United States sided with the Antichrist. You say, well, who in the world would do that? Whoever we elect. Whoever we elect. You say, well, surely the United States wouldn't side with the Antichrist. Depends who we elect. Because you would think that we have a Christian, Judeo-Christian heritage, that we would stand for the right thing, the right, the right people stand on the right side, but you know, who knows who's going to be in leadership? Because I'm, I'm amazed now who we elect. I'm just telling you. I, I, I'm amazed. Um, you, you know, you, you can go from a, a waiter, a waitress, a bartender, and, and be a national advisor now. I mean, you, you can have the mentality, well, we, we don't need uh, fossil fuels. Uh, you don't need a car. You can ride the bus. And not realizing the bus uses fossil fuels. You said people can't be that stupid. Oh, yeah, they are. They are. 
they're, they're that stupid because they don't know how the world really works. Does anybody still love me here? I'm just telling you, this, this is where we're at. So you say, how in the world could we get there? Folks, we're going there. Unless something turns around. So the third option or the third scenario could be that we've sided with the Antichrist. Now, now here's the last one, and I'll, I'll finish with this one. Here's the last one, and I think it's the very best option. And I think probably this would be the one that everybody would want. How does America fit in biblical prophecy when it seems like we're not really uh, in Scripture? That we've experienced a revival so significant that when the rapture happens, a very large portion of our population is gone. That's going to be the best scenario. I, I believe with, with you and I and other people that, uh, that, that I know, we're believing the kingdom of God in America is going to expand. We're believing in a huge awakening in America. You say, well, how could that happen? It's already happened two or three times. We call it the Great Awakening. Uh, Jonathan Edwards, sinners in the hands of an angry God, where literally people would, would just begin to weep and cry and repent. I don't know if you remember uh, Miss Irene Walton, and uh, Irene was such a good friend of ours, and I met with someone this morning that worked with her, and we all loved her. And I, I remember that Irene told me that she was raised in rural uh, Arkansas, outside of Hope, Arkansas, where uh, President Clinton was from, and they were kind of sharecroppers. They, they lived out in the country, and they went to a Methodist church, and this is what Miss Irene said, because, you know, being a Methodist and coming to Ray of Hope, a little bit different, right? But when she came, she didn't have a problem, because this is what she said. She said, Pastor Mike, the Methodist church I was raised in, in Arkansas, was a spirit-filled Methodist church. Because people, they, they, they lifted their hands, they worshiped, uh, people prayed for them, they fell out on the floor, you know, they spoke in tongues, and I said, well, Miss Irene, that's not the Methodist church that I've ever been to, but. So, you talk about the Quakers and the Shakers. You, you talk about some of the, the, the awakenings in America throughout, throughout history. There was a real move of the Holy Spirit that it, it became more than religion. It became more than just going to church. People had an encounter with Almighty God. And I believe that can still happen today. You know, we, we have such a wide variety of people here at Ray of Hope. Uh, you know, we're a non-denominal church. doesn't mean that we're anti-denominational. It just means we're non so when you walk through the door, uh, you know, I have some people say, well, I'm Baptist, I'm Methodist, I'm Lutheran, I'm Presbyterian, you know, I'm Assembly of God, Church of God, United Pentecostal, you know, I'm this, I'm that. That's wonderful. Let, let's just believe what the Word of God says. Let, let's just believe what Scripture says. Let's be extremely biblically based. Let's feel the presence of God. Let's let the Holy Spirit move upon us. And maybe you worshiped a little bit different than me and maybe me different than you. That's okay. Sometimes it's my personality. Sometimes it's your personality. But if it's biblical, I'm all for it. Right? Even if you're different than me and I'm different than you, if it's biblical, let's just believe it. Let's go forward.
And, and let's, let's bring in as many people as we can to have this encounter with Almighty God, to feel the power of God's Spirit in our life, to change us so that when Jesus Christ comes, now listen to this, when the fig tree begins to blossom and the leaves begin to show, he says, now you know that these things are about to happen. And one of the things that's about to happen, he says, the trumpet will sound and the Lord, the Son of Man, will come in the clouds and they will be gathered from the four winds of the earth. Now that's what he said. So if we take this last scenario here, and we say, okay, what does that look like? Could it be that there is such a major move of God and revival in America that when that does happen there in Matthew 24, a huge population, a huge portion of America is now gone. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, we will be changed and we're going to meet him in the air. So we have, what, 300 and something million people in America. Let's say uh, 100 million more, you know, get saved, or 200 million more get saved, or 150. I mean, you know, we, we won't know the number, but what would happen if about half of America, boom, goes with Jesus? Then America is no longer a significant player on the world scene. And let me go a little bit further is because the people who left are going to be the major contributors, the major players in our nation, and boom, they're gone. Now, let's reverse this. Now who's left? They'll still be reporting the news. They'll still be meeting in Washington. Y'all are so holy. But I'm telling you, there, there will be a, there'll still be a group here. They're, they're still going to you know, go on with business as usual. But it could be that half of our population is gone. And I tell you what, the half that stays will be happy that we're gone. Until, until, until the wrath of God falls. If you were with us the last two times, and, and I don't want to elaborate on this long, the Bible says that you weren't appointed to wrath. Amen. That, that God did not appoint his children to wrath. But as I read the book of Revelation, there's a group, and it talks about the bond, the free, the powerful man, political man, the rulers. said, hide our face. Hide us from his face. Let the rocks and the mountains fall upon us. We're, we're looking for a place of safety to hide ourselves from him. And then the next line says this, For the wrath of the Lamb, or the wrath of God, has now come. I don't think God wants his children to go through wrath. Now, will we go through the wrath of the world? Yes. Will we go through the wrath of maybe political leaders? Or, or uh, you know, other religious leaders. I mean, people are going through that right now. Uh, will we go through persecution? Yes. The Lord said, uh, you shall have tribulation. And uh, he said, be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. So in this world, we're going to have So I'm not talking about that, but I'm talking about God's wrath. The wrath of the Lamb. So my view is, and you may have a different one, that's okay. 
that, that I believe that we're going to go be with the Lord and then the Lord's going to pour his wrath out upon a world that has rejected him. You know, we believe here today that God so loved the world. He's a whosoever God, isn't he? Anyone can come to the Lord. As I was reading this afternoon, the Bible talked about those who, uh, who you know, were rejected. And it didn't say they were rejected because God rejected them. It says they were rejected because of their unbelief. They didn't believe. Now, l- l- let's take this fig tree and let's take this olive tree and let's take the vineyard. So l- this is what Paul said. He said, if you look at that olive tree... It looks like it's dead. That, that olive tree appears that it's no longer alive. But he said that olive tree is going to have the, the, the limbs and the, and, the, and the stuff begin to bud. And then he talked about the Gentiles. He said the Gentiles have been grafted in to that olive tree. So this tree that once re- represented Israel, now not only is Israel in that olive tree, he says that the Gentiles have been grafted into that olive tree. So now we have the fig tree, we have the olive tree, and we have the vineyard. And Isaiah says this about the vineyard. He said, I planted a vineyard, put a wall around it, I hedged it, did everything I could, and it brought forth wild grapes. He said, what more could I have done? So I want to say this, if, if, I, if I miss heaven, if I don't go up in the rapture, it's not because God hates me, it's because I've rejected him. And every one of us have a choice to either choose him or not choose him. And your choice and my choice determines our destiny. It determines our eternity. And so when Paul talked about they were broke off because of their unbelief. It's not because God didn't want them to be saved. It's because they chose not to believe. And tonight, if you don't know Jesus Christ, you're in trouble. I'm just going to say it point blank. You're in trouble if you don't know Christ. Because the only way to get to heaven is through Jesus Christ. I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except by me or through me. So the only way we're going to get to heaven is not because we're Baptists, we're Methodists, we're Pentecostal, we're Lutherans, Presbyterians, or Catholics. The only way we're going to get to heaven is through Jesus Christ. And not that some of those things are bad. I'm just telling you, the only way you're going to get to heaven is through Jesus Christ. The only way you're going to go in the rapture is through Jesus Christ. That we know him, he knows us, we put our faith and our trust in him. So I, I, I want America to always be a world power. I, I want us not to ever have to go through a war again. Many of you, uh, you, you've lived through World War II. Not that maybe you were in the war, but you grew up in that time. Uh, you know, Korea, Vietnam, war is never good. But we also know that there are nations that would love to see America come down. I, I hope that we have leaders that will always side with Israel. I heard someone say the other day, uh, we need Israel more than Israel needs us. And that may be very true. And have we given them billions of dollars? Yes, we have. But we may need them more than they need us because we need to be aligned with the right people. And let me just give you a scriptural basis of that. 12th chapter of Genesis, Abraham 
Whoever blesses you will be blessed, and whoever you bless will be blessed, right? So you have to, and I have to have the right connections and the right relationships because in those connections and in those relationships, there is a blessing. And if we break those connections, let me tell you what the opposite of blessing is. It is a curse. So we need to be on the side of right. We need to be on the side where we have the right connections. Does Israel do everything right? No, and neither do you, and neither do I. But there is a blessing upon the nation, and it is very prophetic, and it's one of the most prophetic things in the Bible is the nation. And other nations fall into that same prophetic scheme. Russia, China, Persia or Iran, Northern Africa, and all those are found in your Bible. If you were in our Genesis study, I made this, uh, I made this point. There is a place in the scripture where some of the southern Nations around the Arabian Gulf says to those who are evading Israel, have you come for a spoil? Have you come to take some ill-gotten gain? Let me tell you what we've seen right now in the negotiations in the last two years. Saudi Arabia, Qatar, some of those nations in the southern part of Arabia have now gone into alliances and diplomatic relationships with Israel. And the very thing that was prophesied over 2,000 years ago, we're seeing politically come to pass. And you say, well, does that surprise you? It doesn't surprise me because it's already recorded in the Bible. And if you want to know the news before the news knows the news, read your Bible. If you want to know the news before the news knows the news, read your Bible. And I'll guarantee you it will always be right. Because the Word of God will stand forever. Right? Stand with me tonight. We are so thankful you joined us today. We would love to hear from you at rayofhopepodcast at gmail.com. Let us know how you are encouraged and how we can pray for you. Remember, Christ in you is the hope of glory, and hope changes everything.